All right, so we're back. I'm going to try this again. How's everybody doing? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Uh, it is Sunday morning, Sunday, December 10th, 2017, 7.36 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I uh, was on a few minutes ago, and we had some technical difficulties trying this again, all right? So uh, I wanted to come on and talk briefly here. I uh, did a couple posts uh, on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and my, and my personal page, Michael M. Hotel, dealing with the Willie Lynch speech of 1712, the fake Willie Lynch speech of 1712, and how Willie Lynch never historically existed, okay? How Willie Lynch never historically existed, okay? And let me check the audio. Testing one, two, three. Okay. Okay. So audio's good. All right. So uh, I was uh, up late doing some work. I was with Professor Kabahai Wapa Kamenei, Booker T. Coleman, for two days here in Detroit, December 8th and 9th. Minister Malik Shabazz brought him in to do a, to do a two-day lecture series. And I came home Saturday uh, night and collapsed on the couch. And I woke up. It was about 3.50 a.m. Sunday morning. So I got up started doing some work. And um, yeah, saw Facebook posts. Uh, now, first of all, I've done two lectures in the past dealing with the fake Willie Lynch speech. I've done interviews and radio shows. I've interviewed Professor Manu and Pam about it. So I'm not new to this. I posted information about this on our Facebook fan page uh, periodically about this as well. Uh, but Michael Harrell, one of my Facebook friends, posted some information. He referenced Willie Lynch. So I did a couple of posts and provided information about the fake Willie Lynch speech. Willie Lynch never historically existed. And uh, I did a, uh, a another Facebook post, a large one, and it said, telling some black people there's no Willie Lynch is like telling a child there's no Santa Claus. They don't want to believe you. They don't want to believe you. And, and um, we have to understand that when we believe in myths and fairy tales like Willie Lynch, Right. We're giving Europeans too much power over us. Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters. Um, who we just celebrated his 40th anniversary of his passing, September 12th, 1977. Uh, he died at the hands of uh, well, he died from injuries. He suffered from uh, South African police. He said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed, okay? So um, we, we really have to understand this, but uh, I've interviewed Professor Manu on Pelham in the past uh, in some of the posts that I did. I posted the uh, YouTube video of uh, the uh, one of the interviews I did with him, okay? You have to understand that um, in the early 18th century, there's language uh, in the Willie Lynch speech that didn't even exist in the early 18th century, didn't exist in uh, 1712, okay? So um, oftentimes people are not, people will read something and don't have an accurate understanding of history to determine the veracity of it, all right? So, uh, I'll share with you quickly uh, some of what I said in the post that I did, and then I'm going to share quickly with you an article uh, written by Jelani Cobb, uh, who's a historian, okay? Be sure to listen to the African History Network show, 
uh, Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation in Detroit. We'll broadcast on Facebook Live about it also. Okay, you know, I'm on every Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless I'm preempted. Last Sunday, we were preempted by the Detroit uh, University of uh, Mercy, University of Detroit Mercy uh, Titans, the that men's basketball team. So my show did not air. Okay, so um, let's see. Let me scroll down here. Let's look at what I said. Okay, so I said, uh, so I posted um, the YouTube video I did with Professor Manu and Pam. We did this a few years ago. And I said, uh, Professor Manu and Pam is a historian. He's the author of the book, Death, Death of the Willie Lynch Speech. He deals with how the Willie Lynch Speech of 1712 is a fraud. And, and he provides irrefutable evidence based upon understanding history. OK, you can order his book from his website, manuandpim.com, manuandpim.com. OK, M-A-N-U-A-M-P-I-M, manuandpim.com. All right. And uh, I'll post the uh, information on the thread here of the broadcast here on Facebook Live. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. OK. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well. Okay, so, um, and let me share this on my personal page also. Okay, so I said that uh, I have a warning label here on the uh, post. I said this information is not for those who would rather believe a lie than know the truth. Right now, let's correct wrong behavior. You can never figure out how to solve a problem unless you understand the history of how you got into the predicament in the first place. People who do not study real history and think we are in our situation because of a fictitious person called Willie Lynch delivering a speech on the banks of the James River in 1712 is as ridiculous as parents uh, teaching their children that a mythological character flies from the North Pole in a sled pulled by magic reindeer and brings the Christmas gifts. The gifts that you receive are real, but the explanation of how they got there is false. The gifts that you receive, the gifts that are under your Christmas tree, even though Jeremiah chapter 10 tells you don't cut down trees and, and affix silver and gold to them and bring them indoors. You know, this is another story. The gifts that are underneath the Christmas tree Christmas morning are real. The mythological story of how they got there is false. But because the gifts are real, people will believe the false story of how they got there. So you will never understand where the gifts came from until you know the truth. If the truth makes you free, what does a lie do? If the truth makes you free, what does a lie do? Please do not confuse using a myth to teach a lesson with passing a myth, myth off as real history. These are two different things. Throughout our history, throughout African culture, we have allegories, we have myths, we have parables. That's, that's, those, that, that's using them as a teaching tool. That's different than passing mythology off as real history. Uh, also, I have a link to the um, video 
from Dr. Kwabina Ashanti, because Dr. Kwabina Ashanti is the man that wrote the Willie Lynch speech in 1970. Their words in the Willie Lynch speech, like I said, didn't, it didn't even exist in 1712, okay? So we posted that link here, and it's on YouTube, uh, uh, the interview I did with Professor Manu and Pim. You go to my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, just search for Willie Lynch, right? But there's an um, article, and I gotta get out of here. There's an article um, from uh, Ferris State University, Ferris State University, from the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia, okay? And um, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. And uh, if, uh, also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, um, we have the um, 1804 documentary, Hidden History of Haiti. This is the history, the real history of the Haitian Revolution. Okay. So you can order that from my website. You get two free digital downloads from myself with each order also. Okay. So please share. Uh, let me post this here. Please share this broadcast on Facebook. Okay, cool. All right, so I want to share this article with you here. So somebody uh, posed a question. This is from May 2004. Somebody posed the question, uh, is Willie Lynch's letter real? Okay, now most people find out about the Willie Lynch letter during the Million Man March, 1995. Okay, it was out before then. Okay, but it was really exposed to a lot of people when Minister Farrakhan read it at the Million Man March, October 16th, 1995. All right. Um, so, uh, Jelani Cobb, and you see him sometimes on MSNBC as a historian, college professor, he wrote the response. There are many problems with this document, referring to the Willie Lynch letter, 1712, not the least of which is the fact that it is absolutely fake. There are many problems with this document, not the least of which is the fact that it is absolutely fake. It's a fraud. I long ago stopped listening to sentences that began with the problem with black people is or end with. And that's why black people can't get ahead now, which partly explains my initial indifference to the now famous Willie Lynch speech. In the years since the speech, uh, in the in the years in the in the few years since the speech on how to train slaves first appeared, it has been cited by countless college students and a black member of the House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives, along the way becoming the essential verbal footnote in barbershop analysis of what's wrong with black people. The rapper Talib Kweli, and we follow each other on, on, on Twitter, I've talked to him on Twitter before, excellent rapper, hip hop artist. Talib Kweli laments on the song, Know That. He says, quote, blacks are dying, how to make a slave by Willie Lynch is still applying. And one professor at a Midwestern university made uh, the speech required reading for her class. Of late, the frequency, the frequency of its citations seems to be increasing. At least three people have asked me about it in the last month. Now, keep in mind, this was from May 2004. According to the speech preface, Master Lynch or Willie Lynch was concerned enough with the fortunes of his slaveholding brethren in the American colonies to 
so this is 1712 this is before the american revolutionary war american revolutionary war 1775 to 1783 this is 1712 so the colonies are still under rule of great britain right according to the speech preface preface willie lynch was concerned enough with the fortunes of his slaveholding brethren in the american colonies to present a lecture on the bank of the james river explaining how to keep unruly servants servants disunited now one of the reasons why he put it on the banks of the james river is because people know that african americans know king james because of the king james version of the bible because christianity was forced upon african people during slavery and because the colonies were british colonies it's going to be the king james version of the bible that was prevalent but king james wasn't the king at this time it was queen anne who was the queen at this time 1712. he was not a real significant king professor manu and pym talks about this um when i interviewed him and we dealt with the fake willie lynch speech of 1712 death to the willie lynch death to the willie lynch speech things like this but Dr. Kwabina Ashanti, who wrote the Willie Lynch speech in 1970, he chose, um, he made it the James River in reference to King James because that's something that African Americans know. They, 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 if, they, if, there's, if there's only one king, or if there's only one English king that Europeans know, I mean, that African Americans know, is King James. And he did not write the Bible because he was illiterate. He could neither read nor write. He commissioned about 42 scholars in 1600 to write his version of the Bible. And he was Catholic. He breaks away from the Catholic Church, joins the Church of England. Okay. And the Church of England, we know, was created in the 1530s by King Henry VIII, who was Catholic. He creates the Church of England because he wants to get a divorce from his wife, Queen Catherine of Aragon and marry a 27-year-old woman named Anne Bolin because his wife, Queen Catherine of Aragon, could not bear him a son. So he goes to the Pope. The Pope says, we don't do divorces. He sets up the, he creates the Church of England. He makes Thomas Kramer, the Archbishop, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, uh, he puts him over the church. He marries Anne Bolin, and he gets an annulment from um, Thomas Kramer. This is how the Church of England was created by King Henry VIII. Because he wanted a divorce and the, and the Pope wouldn't give him one. So, um, Jelani Cobb in this article here, it says, um, the old, so, so according to the speech's preface, uh, Willie Lynch was concerned enough with the fortunes of his slaveholding brethren in the American colonies to present a lecture on the bank of the James River ex explaining how to keep unruly servants disunited. The old, he argued, should be, so he's, he's, the old slave should be pitted against the young slave, the dark slave against the light slave, the male against the female, and so on. Such disunifying tactics, quote, he said, will control the slaves for at least 300 years, end quote. And he guaranteed this. And that, it seems, is why black people can't get ahead now. 
Now, Jelani Cobb says, as a historian, I am generally skeptical of smoking guns. Historical work like forensic science isn't some flashy field. It depends on the painstaking aggregation of facts that lead researchers to the most likely explanation, but rarely the only explanation, but rarely the only explanation. Slavery was an incredibly complex set of social, economic, and legal relations that li literally boiled down to African-Americans or black people and white people. But given the variation in size of farms, number of enslaved workers, um, regions, crops grown, law, gender ratios, religion, and local economy, it is unlikely that a single letter could explain slave policy for at least 151 years of the institution and its ramifications down to the present day. Let me give you an example. I did a lecture last year dealing with the the real hit the uh, the um, history of the Nat Turner Rebellion of 1821, the rebirth of a nation. You can order it from my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So a lot of people talk about how during slavery, slaves couldn't read or write. No slaves could read or write. That's not true. In many states and in, in, in many colonies, British colonies first in states, it was illegal for enslaved Africans to learn to read and write. That is true of many of them, but not all of them. Because Virginia was an exception. Because it was legal in the state of Virginia for enslaved African people to learn to read and write. Nat Turner was one of them. It was legal to do that. It's going to change. In um, 1831, I should say, uh, Nat Turner Rebellion, 1831, not 1821. Started um, August 21st, but uh, 1831. It's going to change after the Nat Turner Rebellion. Because uh, uh, after the Nat Turner Rebellion, the state legislature is going to make it illegal for slaves to learn to read and write because Nat Turner was literate and he could read the Bible and he used the Bible as a tool to teach enslaved Africans that they were not supposed to be slaves. So they made it illegal, in, in the state of Virginia, they made it illegal after the Nat Turner Rebellion, they made it illegal for slaves to read and write. So the enslavement of African people in this country was something that's very complex. Um, so that's why, when I hear a lot of general generalities, yeah, um, we we have to understand the complexity of 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 what took place. Now, considering so, Jelani Cobb was on to say, considering the limited number of extant sources, e x t a n t, from the 18th century, considering the limited number of extant sources from 18th century. If this speech had been discovered, it would have been the subject of incessant historical panels, scholarly articles, and debate. So he's saying if the if the Willie Lynch letter was an actual historical document and it surfaced in the about the early 1990s, okay, then this would 
this would have been earth shattering in the historical in the historical realm in the his in the scholarly world okay it would literally be a career making find but the letter was never dis, quote unquote discovered rather it simply appeared on the internet bypassing the official historical circuits and making its way directly into the canon of american racial conspiratoria so it's kind of like donald trump's tweets okay if these were statements that donald trump had to make going through a press secretary or if these were statements he was making directly to the media but even if he had to go if he had to go through somebody to get these statements out they said mr president we say you mr president you don't want to do this this is not this is not true mr president because look at what you said over here looking at all this documentation over here mr president is not true but because he can just tweet now 280 characters he's twice as deadly now because twitter instead of 140 characters it's expanded to 280 characters right he can just tweet and he doesn't have to go past the scrutiny of anybody well this is the same thing with the fake willie lynch letter because of the creation of the internet and access to the internet it bypassed the scrutiny of historians when it was disseminated so on a more practical level the speech is filled with references that are questionable if not completely inaccurate on a more practical level, the speech is filled with references that are more question questionable, if not completely inaccurate. Willie Lynch makes reference to an invitation reaching him on his quote unquote modest plantation in the West Indies. While this is theoretic theoretically possible, the plantation system was well established in the Caribbean by 1712. Most plantation owners were absentees who chose to remain in the colonizing country while the day-to-day -day affairs of their holdings were, were ran or run by hired managers and overseers. But even assuming that Mr. Lynch was an exception to this practice, much of the text of his quote-unquote speech remains uh, anarchistic, okay? Anarchistic is the anarchy. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Anachronistic. Uh, okay. It is out of step with what was taking place at that time. It doesn't, the language in the speech and what he's saying does not fit into um, the vernacular of the time and does not fit into the history of the time. So Willie Lynch makes a consistent reference to quote unquote slaves, which again is possible, though it is far more likely people during this era would refer to persons in bondage simply as Negroes. In the first paragraph, he promises that quote, ancient Rome would envy us if my program is implemented, end quote. But the word program did not enter the English language with this with this type of connotation until 1837. At the time of this speech, it was used only to reference a written notice for theater events. So one of the mistakes people make is thinking that words that we use today 
always existed or words that we use today existed 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or even that words that we use today had the same meaning and or the same spelling 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So when you look at the information from Professor Manu and Pim, and you can go to Professor Manu and Pim's website, manuandpim.com, M-A-N-U-A-M-P-I-M. He has three essays there called Death to the Willie Lynch Speech or Death to the Fake Willie Lynch Speech. And he talks about, in one of them, he talks about how at this period of time, 1712, if you look at the word color, we spell it C-O-L-O-R, but the British spelling was C-O-L-O-U-R. And these were British colonies we're dealing with. So they didn't even spell the word color the way we spell it today. But somebody who doesn't understand history and sentence structure and vernacular of, the, of that period of time would know this. They would not know this. Two paragraphs later, Willie Lynch says that he will, quote, give an outline of action, quote, unquote, give an outline of action by slave for slaveholders. But the word outline had appeared only 50 years earlier and at that time was only used as an artistic term, meaning a sketch. It did not convey its present meaning. Uh, outline to outline a plan or something like that. It did not convey its present meaning until 1759, which is 47 years after this letter was supposed to have been written. But once again, if you don't understand history, language, sentence structure, and vernacular of the time that something is supposed to take place, a fraud can be passed off and you don't even realize it. Even more damning is his use of the terms indoctrination and self-refueling. In the next sentence, the first word didn't carry its current connotation until 1832, the word indoctrination. The current connotation of that didn't exist in 1712. The second word, self-refueling, didn't even enter the language until 1811, 99 years after the speech was supposed to be given, okay? More obviously, Willie Lynch, so that comes from the self-refueling comes from the transportation era, okay? That's a transportation word, uh, self-refueling. Um, a, a century, so uh, more obviously, Willie Lynch, Willie Lynch's use of the word black with an uppercase B to describe African-Americans more than two centuries before the word came to be applied as a common ethnic identifier. Now, you're going to see the word black in the 1800s. You will see that. And for, and for instance, the word African-American, the term African-American, Jesse Jackson did not create that term. Y'all need to stop saying that. He did not create that term. He reintroduced the term. 
because the first recorded usage of the term African-American goes back to May 15, 1782 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's a very old term. That's not a new term. The term Afro-American, the term Afro-American didn't start being used in the 1960s. That goes back to the 1830s. And we can look at organizations that we had, like the National Afro-American League, which was created about 1892. We can look at the Afro-American Council, created by Bishop Alexander Walters and uh, Thomas T. Fortune, 1898. Dr. W.B. Bois was a member of the Afro-American Council, and it's gonna be the split in the Afro-American Council uh, because it breaks into two factions, a pro, uh, by about 1903, it breaks into two factions, a pro-Booker T. Washington faction and a more radical faction, which consisted of Dr. W.B. DuBois and Ida B. Wells and others. And they're going to break away from that and in 1905, create the Niagara Movement, which was the precursor to the NAACP. You have the Afro-American newspaper founded, I think it was in Baltimore around 1882. So we have to study our history. If people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future to meet the needs of their community. If people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the future to meet the needs and solve the problems of their community. Uh, read the article that I wrote. Uh, you can read all of my articles at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com because I write articles as well. I'm not just in documentaries like Elementary Genocide Part 3. All of the documentaries I'm in and uh, all my lectures available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You know, I'm in the Black Friday Part 2 documentary with Professor Kaba Kamene and, and others also uh, from Director Rick Mathis. But um, a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future because things happen in cycles. And every ethnic group in America used it. They used their history and culture to meet the needs of their community. And they understand that they have to be the number one employers of their own people also. But if you go to my website, <coughs> excuse me, if you go to my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, read the article that I wrote. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Raven Simone are wrong about the term African-American. And I deal with the history of that term and how it goes back to the 18th century. It, Jesse Jackson did not create it. Even if you look at Malcolm X's speech, The Battle of the Bullet, and what he did in Cleveland, Ohio in uh, 1964, I think it was April of 1964, he uses the term Afro-American and African-American in that term. If you read the transcript of it. Okay, so we see the word outline is used incorrectly. That term didn't even exist in 1712, the way it was being used. Indoctrination is self-refueling. Indoctrination uh, in, the, in, that current, in, the, in this current connotation wasn't used until 1832. Self-refueling uh, uh, didn't enter the language until 1811. More obviously, Willie Lynch's uses of the word black 
with an uppercase B to describe African-Americans more than two centuries before the word came to be applied as a common ethnic identifier. In some popular citations, Willie Lynch has also been inexplicably credited with the term lynching, which would be odd since, uh, since the speech promises to provide slaveholders with nonviolent techniques that will save them the expense of killing valuable, if unruly, property. This inaccuracy provide this inaccuracy points to a more basic problem in understanding American history. The violence directed at black people in America was exceptional in the regard that it was racialized and used to reinforce political and social subordination, but it was not unique. The, in, the, this inaccuracy points to a more basic problem in understanding American history. The violence directed at African-Americans or, or black people in America was exceptional in the regard that it was racialized and used to reinforce political and social subordination, but it was not unique. Early America was incredibly violent in general, stemming in part from the endemic violence in British society and partly from the violence that tends to be associated with front frontier societies. For most of its history, lynching was a non-racial phenomenon. For most of its history, lynching was a non-racial phenomenon. In fact, it most often directed, it was most often directed at white people. The term lynch law, L-Y-N-C-H, the term lynch law was derived from the mob violence directed at uh, Tor Tories or British loyalists, T-O-R-I-E-S, T-O-R-I-E-S, Tories or British loyalists just after the American Revolutionary War. So that ends, the American Revolutionary War ends in 1783. While there is disagreement about the precise origins of the term lynch, some associated with Charles Lynch, a revolution era justice of the peace who imprisoned Tories, okay, uh, or British loyalists. Others see it as the legacy of an armed militia founded near the Lynch River, L-Y-N-C-H-E, Lynch River, or the militia captain named Lynch who created judicial tribunals in Virginia in 1776. There is no reference to the term lynch earlier than 1768, more than half a century after the date given for the speech. So the people who want to sit up on social media and argue the validity and veracity of the Whitley Lynch speech haven't read none of this, haven't studied any of this. This is why I said telling some black people that Willie Lynch never historically existed is like telling us a child that Santa Claus doesn't exist. They just don't want to believe it. But we should be dealing with what we know as opposed to believing. Because, you, because when you believe something, 
That means to accept something as truth without having valid evidence to prove that it's truthful or factual. When you know something, to know something is to accept something that's consistent with fact and reality, you know, based upon the evidence. So given the sparse judicial uh, resources, judges were forced to travel from town to town hearing cases, which is where we get the term judicial court. Given the sparse judicial resources, judges were forced to travel from town to town hearing cases, which is where we get the term judicial court. And the frequency, the frequency of property crimes in the early republic, lynching was often seen as a form of community justice. If you watch some old westerns, if you watch maybe Gunsmoke, which was on air for 27 years, by the way, the TV show, I used to listen to, I'm an old radio show buff, so I, you know, I've listened to hundreds of old radio shows, and Gunsmoke was one of them. But it was on the TV for 27 years. But if you watch some old westerns and things like this, when they have a situation where um, uh, somebody's arrested, they say, okay, the judge will be in town in two days. Because <laughs> the judge traveled from town to town hearing cases and ruling. Judge of being, we're going to hold you till the judge gets in town. Judge, judge of being in town in three days. Okay, so not until the 1880s, after the end of Reconstruction, Reconstruction ends in 1877, after Civil War ends, Civil War ends um, June uh, 2nd, 1865, uh, starts uh, April. Uh, April of 1861, Reconstruction ends in 1877 with the Compromise of 1877, okay? So it's not until the 1880s, at the, after the end of Reconstruction, did lynching, the term lynching, become associated with African-Americans. Gradually, the number of African-Americans lynched each year surpassed the number of white people being lynched until it became almost exclusively directed at black people late in the uh, 19th century. Nevertheless, between 1882 and 1944, Tuskegee University recorded 3,417 lynchings of African-Americans and 1,291 lynchings of white people. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of people don't know they were lynching white people also, okay? where the term lynch also referred to white people. When we hear lynching, today when we hear the term lynching, the lynching doesn't just mean putting a rope around somebody's neck. It meant the uh, unjust killing or mob killing of African-Americans. So we look at uh, Emmett Till, August 28, 1955. Emmett Till was lynched even though he wasn't hung, okay? Um, Yolanda Spivey wrote an article for um, your black what was it your black world or which let me see let me try to pull up that article Yolanda wrote um, she wrote an article about um, five presidents who were members of the Ku Klux Klan U.S. presidents okay uh, five presidents who were members of the Ku Klux Klan let me try to pull up this article here. 
How's everybody doing this morning? Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Uh, Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. So I ain't planning on to be on this long, but uh, we'll be broadcasting tonight, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're on every Sunday, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. So you see me in the studio uh, every Sunday. Let me see if I can pull up this article. Because um, that article dealt with um, presidents who were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, here we go. It's called Five U.S. Presidents Were Members of the Ku Klux Klan, July 18, 2014, for ILoveBlackPeople.com. Oh, April V. Taylor wrote this. Okay, that's right. That's April V. Taylor that wrote this. Okay. Um, in the article, she talks about how Between 1882 and 1964, 3,446 African Americans were lynched, and 1,297 white people were lynched by the uh, by the Ku Klux Klan. That's 1882 to 1964. Okay, uh, five U.S. presidents were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Let me see. Uh, I'm looking at my um, my work, my uh, Microsoft Word version of that article. Let me see if I can uh, uh, let me see if I can give you a link for that article. Hopefully, they still have that article up. Okay, so let's post that link here on the thread of the broadcast. All right, there we go. Uh, okay, so we just posted that link. That's from ILoveBlackPeople.net. .net. ILoveBlackPeople.net. All right. Let's go back to this article here from uh, Ferris State University, the Jim Crow Museum. This is written by uh, historian Jelani Cobb. Uh, and um, he's a history professor, Jelani Khan. You'll see him a lot of times on MSNBC. He writes for The Atlantic also. Okay, so nevertheless, between 1882 and 1944, Tuskegee University recorded 3,417 lynchings with African-American victims and 1,291 lynchings with white ones. The Willie Lynch speech would seem to give a quick and easy explanation of the roots of our lamented black disunity, quote unquote, black disunity. You can make similar arguments about the lingering effects of a real historical uh, document like the 1845 uh, tract Religious Instruction of Negroes written by a pro-slavery Presbyterian minister, Religious Instruction of Negroes, 1845, or the British practice of mixing different African ethnicities on slave ships in order to make communication and therefore rebellion more difficult. But this too is questionable. It presumes that whites or any other diverse group do not face divisive gender issues, generation gaps, and class distinctions. 
Willie Lynch offers no explanation for the white pro-lifer who guns down a white abortion provider or white on white domestic violence. He does not explain political conflicts among different Latino groups or crime in Asian communities. Unity is not the same as unanimity. Unity is not the same as unanimity, okay? Um, and in the end, black people are no more disunited than any other group of people and a lot more united than we gives us, give ourselves credit for. What happens is, is that other groups have their history and culture intact for the most part and they use it to fight for scarce wealth, power, and resources. But in other group, but in other groups of people, you have people who are disunited. Look at Republicans and Democrats fighting each other. That's an example right there. You have Republicans and Democrats fighting each other. So you have disunity in different groups of people also. And you can look at them trying to repeal. You can look at Europeans trying to take away health care from other Europeans to benefit their billionaire donors. You can look at Republicans trying to take away. You can look at the massive tax cut that Republicans are giving to their billionaire donors with the, the tax bill that just passed the Senate 5149. OK, uh, was it Thursday, November 30th? That's going to hurt a lot of poor white people. These are still Europeans. So they have this unity among them as well. All right. Now, a lot of times you have groups of them tending to unite against us. Some of them, not all of them. But they have this unity as all also. Look at the fallout that happened from the 2016 election. Okay, Donald Trump becomes president-elect the morning of November 9th. That evening, there are massive protests out in the street. Who was out protesting, white people? <laughs> Who was out protesting? Yeah, a lot of white people out crying and protesting. Inauguration was January 20th, 2017. January 21st, what happened? A million people in Washington, these million women. It was a, it was a woman's march. Washington D.C. protesting. Who was there? A whole lot of white women, mad because Donald Trump was president. So, all people have disunity, and and so what happens is how do they handle it, and what types of issues do they do groups of them coalesce around? Okay, so hopefully. This helps you understand that the Willie Lynch speech is a fraud. He never historically existed. Best thing to do is throw it in the garbage can. Okay. Best thing to do is throw it in the garbage can. All right. Let's go to some of your comments quickly here on Facebook that we got to get to get out of here. And be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my DVD lectures are there. We have documentaries, 1804, The Hidden History of Haiti. This was the history of the Haitian Revolution. This was some real history. Check this out. From director Tariq Nasheed who did Hidden Colors documentaries, Elementary Genocide 3. I'm featured in this documentary along with Professor Kaba Kamane and Professor James Small, two of my teachers, and Dr. Boyce Watkins. Uh, from director Raheem Shabazz. You got all that, all my lectures there. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay.
let's go some of your comments. Maurice Wall said, thanks, Brother Michael Imhotep. I have successfully completed two college degrees in six years and never learned any of this illuminating knowledge at the, uni at the university that I attended. So, you know, October, I think it was October 15th, I was a guest lecturer uh, in the Department of Africology and African-American Studies at um, Eastern Michigan University. Dr. Patrick Pia brought me in to speak to his class. I did a presentation for his class. And uh, he teaches Introduction to Africology, okay, which is like the first, I think, I guess that's the first African-American Studies class that they, they take. So I asked him, send me, a, send me a copy of the textbook that you all use. When he asked me to speak, you know, I agreed to speak. I said, send me a copy of the textbook that you all use because I want to check it out to get an idea of what is being taught in the class so I can, you know, kind of tailor my presentation based upon that, okay? So this is the textbook that's being used. It's a good textbook, Towards an Understanding of Africology, fourth edition. Towards an Understanding of Africology by, by Victor Okafor, okay? Um, and uh, I think he's the, uh, I think he's the head of the department because I met with him after I spoke because I'm looking at uh, going to Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan to get a, uh, a master's in um, Africana Studies. They don't offer a master's program just yet. They're trying to get it approved, but they have a, um, a graduate certificate in Africology. So um, it looks like I'll be going there to get that, right? So I go through and look through the books. So the first thing I do with books like this is I go back and look at the index. I go look at the index. And the book is good. They talk about ancient Kemet. They talk about Shankar the Jope. Uh, you know, they had Dr. Ivan Van Sertima. So this, this is really good. Songhai Empire, East African coastal cities, Great Zimbabwe and Mutapa, uh, Mutapa uh, the Mali Empire, Kemet, they use the word Kemet, Kemet, ancient Egyptian, so it's good, right? But I go look in the index, and I'm looking for the word more, and more is not in here. So I'm like, hmm. So I go look through the book, and they don't talk about the Africans known as the Moors. And my thing is, you can't talk about the transatlantic slave trade. You can't talk about Christopher Columbus. You can't talk about Europe coming out of the Dark Ages without talking about the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We have to deal with a chronology of history. So when I spoke to this class, part of my presentation was on the Moors and what the Moors took into Europe and how the Moors brought Europe out of the Dark Ages, which allowed Columbus to set sail on his four voyages in the, in the, in the Moors taking teachings from ancient Kemet into Europe. Because the Moors were the custodians of the ancient Egyptian mystery system, as George G.M. James talks about in Stolen Legacy. It's the Moors that introduced algebra and alcohol and soap and spherical globes and almanacs into Europe. It's the Moors that are going to build the first uh, universities in Europe. University of Salamanca in, in, in Spain, 1285 AD, built by Moors and Arabs. 
So my presentation was the light of ancient Egypt awakens the African mind. And I'm, I dealt with ancient Kemet. I dealt with the Moors. And the Moors laid a foundation for secret societies. The Freemasons, Rosicrucians, the teachings they took in from ancient Kemet. You can't talk about you. How you. You we have to understand a chronology of history. So when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade and I do, a, I teach an online course. Called um, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade. Some of you are taking that course and actually it's on demand now. So you can just go to. Um, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And it's uh, the last one I did is actually like a, it's actually seven installments. It's about 14, 15 hours. Then there's 20 hours of bonus content. So you can down, you can watch it. It's stream. You can watch it on demand. Okay. It's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll, we'll get you the link for it. Because um, that will blow you away. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. You can... It's only oh, it's only forty dollars. Also, it's forty dollars. You can start watching that right now. Uh, let me let me let me pull that up here. Um, let me pull it up for you. So my presentation was um, the light of ancient Egypt awakens the African mind. Um, and I dealt with ancient Kemet. You know, we talk about our saw, our set, and Heru, the first holy trinity. Greeks call them Osiris, Isis, and Horus. We dealt with all that. But we had to talk about the Moors. That was not in the textbook. They were blown away by the information. So we have to understand our chronology of history. That has to be included. All right, just a second. Let me try to find this here. Get you the most recent information. But uh trying to see if I can get the direct link okay let's go to some more of your comments here um felicia said there is no damn santa claus there's no comparison what do you mean felicia please explain there's no comparison please explain willie lynch didn't exist either so there is a comparison uh angela flood williams said would i have to pay again or can i go back in oh you can uh so angela the course that you paid for is still there you can go back and watch it over and over again you can watch it every day if you want to it's on demand the course the course that you paid for angela you, you still have access to the um online school um mia said without the moors there would be no europe well europe existed before the moors now the Black Death, the bubonic plague they hit in 1347 AD and hit in spurts from 1347 to 1400 would have been much worse without the Moors. Europe lost between one quarter to one third of their population between 25 million and 75 million people. Uh, it would have been worse uh, without the Moors. Okay. But Europe, it, it's the teachings that the Moors took into Europe that allow them to come out of the dark ages. Okay. Um, Shantae said, who taught the Kemites? Well, ancient Kemet, the mother of ancient Kemet, uh, we know is, you know, Ta-Nehisi, Nubia. Uh, 
which today is the Sudan. The grandmother is Abyssinia or Ethiopia. So knowledge and people went up the Nile River, coming from the south, coming from the south, go up the Nile River, you know, and you have Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania. So we're going to go up the Nile River. So Kemet benefited from thousands and thousands of years of uh, knowledge and the accumulation and the evolution of knowledge. Um, Felicia said, "Why is there no Willie Lynch?" Okay, go back and watch the go back and watch the video from the beginning, Felicia. Willie Lynch never historically existed. Go back and watch the from the beginning because I, I dealt with that. After this is over, go back and watch it from the beginning. He never historically existed. Same reason why there's no Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a fictitious person. Now Saint Nicholas was a real person. And Santa Claus is based upon St. Nicholas, but the fictitious person of Santa Claus that rides through the sky on, Christ on Christmas Eve uh, in a sleigh pulled by eight reindeer plus nine, because in the original, um, Twice the Night Before Christmas, in, in that original uh, poem, Twice the Night Before Christmas, um, written by uh, Clement Clark Moore, there were only eight reindeer. The ninth reindeer, was created in 1939 by Robert L. May, for the for uh who was a copywriter for Montgomery Ward's department store, and he wrote a poem about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who was the ninth reindeer. But he, originally there were eight reindeer. Um, you, I deal with that in my presentation. Ancient Kemet, the Winter Solstice, and the History of Christmas. Ancient Kemet, the Winter Solstice, and the History of Christmas. It's a, it's a three-hour lecture I did um, December 2016. You can order that from my website also, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, let's go to some more of your comments here. Just a second. Some people may not go to church this morning, but you get some church right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ricky said, what was the purpose of writing the book or letter? Well, Dr. Kwabina Shanti was trying to show African-Americans how they were acting like slaves. That's the purpose, but it's really done more harm than good. I'm not mad at him. I don't blame him, you know. He had good intentions, but it's done more harm than good. Lila Brown said the Moors taught the Neanderthals everything they know about us. They used the knowledge against us. Mia said we need to find a way to break out this cycle. Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters, Stephen Biko said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressed is the mind of the oppressor. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressed is the mind of the oppressor. So we have to take our minds back. We, we have to take our minds back. And it's, it's your history and culture that gives you the foundation to do that. Your thoughts create feelings. Your feelings create actions and behaviors. Your actions and behaviors create results. Your thoughts create feelings. The feelings create actions and behaviors. 
but actions and behaviors create results. So we're waiting, we're, you know, a lot of people are waiting. So let me give you an example, right? So with the Willie Lynch speech, right? In it is said, the Willie Lynch letter, it said that if you use these tools I'm giving you, if you use this outline, et cetera, this met, these methods, right? It will basically keep them enslaved for 300 years and keep them mentally enslaved for 300 years, right? So I heard, I would hear on radio shows periodically, in national radio shows, people talk about the Willie Lynch speech. And leading up to 2012, people saying that the spell from Willie Lynch is not going to leave, dissipate until 2012. We don't see power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. Power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. And we don't understand how much power we give Europeans when we believe nonsense like this. Okay, what you do, so I'm, I'm posting the uh, link to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com here, has the information um, about the online course that I teach. And it's on demand, um, so you can register for it right now and start watching it. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. It's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's all recorded. It's uh, on demand. It's a visual presentation of PowerPoint, video clips, references, everything. It's, uh, it's, uh, the last one I did was seven classes. Uh, it's about 14, 15 hours in total, and then there's about 20 hours of bonus content. Okay. And you can watch that from around the world. Uh, it works best in, let me see, you watch that. Yeah, it works best in Google Chrome. It works best in Google Chrome uh, as your browser to, to, to view the class. So what happens to the people when they are waiting for a futuristic expiration date on stupidity? Think about this. Leading up to 2012, I would hear people, because it's 1712, right? Willie Lynch letters supposed to have been delivered. 300 years, it's 2012. So what happens to a people when they are waiting for a futuristic expiration date on stupidity to come? Makes no sense. It's just like um, you have people who say that, uh, how does it go? Uh, something with 400 years, um, What? okay, how, how does it go? Um, oh, okay, so you have some people who say that the Bible says that we're going to be enslaved for 400 years. slaves in this country for 400 years okay so they look at august 20th 1619 and they say we're not going to come out of it to 2019 
should look at August 20th, 20 some odd Africans come to uh, Jamestown, Virginia. All right, well, um, if you want to study history, then you'll know that the Spanish who were involved in the transatlantic slave trade before the British, you would know that they were taking Africans into the territory we today call South Carolina in the 1520s, which is 100 years before Jamestown, Virginia. So the 400 years that you're waiting on to expire has already happened. Now what's your excuse? If you understand history, now if you want to deal with mythology, then you have to go watch somebody else's broadcast. If you want to deal with history, the 400 years that you're waiting for to expire has already happened. Now what's your excuse? Because the Spanish who came to this land before the British came, the Spanish were taking Africans into the area, from Africa, taking them into the area we call South Carolina in the 1520s, a hundred years before Jamestown, Virginia. This is why when I hear people say we first, that we first came here August 2016, 19, that's in the British colonies. Now, keep in mind, African people, it, it, we were already here 51,700 years. This was our land stolen from us. We were here before Native Americans came into existence. This is one of the things I deal with it in the online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And this is one of the books that we reference in the class. For my friend, Dr. David M. Hotel, the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence. Okay, so visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can um, register for that class, watch it on demand. You start watching it now. It's only $40. So this is why we have to understand the difference between mythology and real history. The 400-year expiration date on stupidity that people were waiting for, we're going to be in bondage for 400 years. Really? That expiration date expired 100 years ago. Now what's your excuse? We have to take our minds back. Power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. This is why Stephen Biko was correct. He said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressor. Harriet Tubman was correct when she said, I freed a thousand slaves, but I could have freed a thousand more if they had only known that they were slaves because somebody else was in, in control of their reality. All right, let's look at some more of uh, the comments here. There's a lot of them too. Monica said, uh, okay, Monica and Lily are going back and forth. Uh, Okay, Monica said we can all learn something from each other. Lila, it was Lila, not Lily. Lila said the generation before mine was so adamant uh, about us assimilating. Really? You sure about that? Which genera generation, really? Civil rights movement was not about assimilation. You should go back and study the civil rights movement. Civil rights movement was not about assimilation. That's a misinterpretation. Just like people are saying civil rights movement was a nonviolent movement. Really? You ever heard of Deacons for Defense and Justice? 
You ever heard of Robert F. Williams and the Black Guard? You ever read the book, This Nonviolent Stuff That Get You Killed? Which deals with how guns made the civil rights movement possible by uh, uh, Charles, uh, by um, uh, Charles Cobb. Charles Cobb, who was a field secretary for SNCC for five years in rural Mississippi. Professor James Small, one of my teachers, he'll tell you, and I've interviewed him. You can go listen to interviews where he said this. He said the civil rights movement was not a nonviolent movement. No, it was not. We don't understand our history. Um... Felicia said, what power did we give when the reality is the rules he suggested work? Well, if you actually understand history, and a lot of things that he talks about in that um, letter didn't even happen during slavery. It's just total nonsense. Go watch the beginning of, go, go back and watch the whole thing. Because I can tell the level of people's understanding of history or lack thereof when they when they when they try to justify that type of nonsense. Once again, telling some black people that Willie Lynch never historically existed is like telling a child Santa Claus doesn't exist. Okay, they are. um, What happens when your mind has an unexpected head on collision with the truth? And you deal with cognitive dissonance. Jeremiah said, Holy Bible, Helios, Biblos, Book of the Sun or the Sun Book, not the, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. That's right. Helios and Biblos coming for Bublos, which was the Phoenician capital where the early Christians went to go to get the papyrus to uh, which was a form of paper to write the Bible on. Biblos comes from Bublos, B-U-B-L-O-S and then B-Y-B-L-O-S. Because Biblos did not originally mean book. It was a Phoenician capital, the capital of Phoenicia. And Phoenicians were African people. Lila said, less Willie Lynch, more Toni Morrison. Okay. Less Willie Lynch, more Dr. David M. Hotep, more Dr. Chancellor Williams, more Dr. Leonard Jeffries, more Professor Kappa Hiawatha Kamenei. Uh, I'm going back looking at some of your comments here. Was the Willie Lynch practice real? A lot of that stuff is nonsense. You got the you have to understand also variations on on different slave plantations. This is why, you know, just talking about uh, you know these silver bullet theories, man, just don't hold up. Okay. Bam said, I'm sorry I came in late. Are you saying Willie Lynch never existed? Yeah, Willie Lynch never historically existed. Willie Lynch never historically existed. The Willie Lynch speech of 1712 is an absolute fraud. It's been proven to be a fraud numerous times. There are words in the speech that didn't even exist in 1712, like self-refueling. 
and the way that words were used in the, in the in the speech allegedly in 1712 weren't even used like that till 50 100 years after like indoctrination and outline so people go back and watch the beginning of the broadcast willie lynch never ever historically exists this is willie lynch was supposed to be existed in 1712 that wrote this letter that letter was written in 1970 by dr kwabina ashanti and he's come out and admitted he wrote the letter and he explained why on youtube there's a video of him talking about it. He was interviewed by Black and Noble uh, Bookstore. He talks about it. But even if he didn't even admit it, if you understand history, sentence structure, vernacular of the early 18th century, you can go through and see that that's BS. Okay. Um, all right. So look, we got to get out of here. So I'll be back uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the African History Network show. I'm the host. Once again, I'm Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. Um, being that I have you here, I'll be in Atlanta December 29th, Friday, December 29th. Let me give you my itinerary, okay? Uh, I was just with Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, Booker T. Coleman of the Hidden Colors documentaries, and we're in Black Friday together. We're in Elementary Genocide. He was here in Detroit for two days. Kwanzaa starts December 26, right? Everybody celebrate Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa starts December 26. Support African-American-owned businesses. During this period of time, starting with Black Friday, November 24th, we should be supporting as many African-American-owned businesses as possible. So I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History Friday, December 26th, Saturday, December 27th, uh, Sunday, December uh, 28th. Okay, no, no. 26th and 27th, 28th, I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum. That Friday is December 29th. I'll be in Atlanta at the Shrine of the Black Madonna in Atlanta. Hopefully it won't be snowing. Cause I'll be leaving snow here in Detroit to go to snow in Atlanta. Hopefully it won't be snowing in Atlanta. I know it's snowing now, but hopefully it'll be gone when I get there. So we'll be at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, 6 p.m. Uh, for the screening of Black Friday Part 2, the Living Legacy World Tour, which studies our African global legacy and ties that into economic empowerment. And I'll be on the panel discussion, okay? And I have a vendor table there, have my DVDs. Next morning, I fly to Los Angeles. I'll be speaking in Los Angeles at the uh, Christ Unity Church, Christ Unity Temple. Uh, and I think, I think that's in Compton. Uh, I'll be speaking there on uh, Saturday, December 30th. That program starts at 3 p.m. That program's like 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And um, there's an event invite about that on Facebook. Uh, and then the next day, New Year's Eve, Saturday, December 31st. I'm doing a lecture there. Uh, that's uh, from, I think, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. And I'll be speaking on uh, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. And that will be a very timely speech, not just because of this era that we're dealing with, but things we need to take into the new year to fight against what we're dealing with as well. 
Because the reason why Kwanzaa is seven days and it starts December 26 and goes to January 1st is so you take the seven principles of the Nguzu Saba, Nguzu, Nguzu Saba into the new year and practice them all year round. This is why this goes until January 1st, until the new year. It's not something to be left in the, the, the previous year. No, you, we, we, we're supposed to practice the seven principles all year round. Okay, so um, John asked, when am I coming to New York? Okay, if you want me to come to New York, contact me, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, go to my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you contact me there. Or you can email me, at uh, info at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, but uh, you can contact me right through the website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and if you want me to do a presentation for your group organization, if you want me to be on a panel discussion, you want me to moderate a panel discussion, uh, you want to interview me, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, that's the best way to do it. Okay, Gail said, I never studied or learned about Kwanzaa, but I want to. Are you coming to Florida? Am I coming to Florida? Florida, Florida, Florida. Um, if you want me to if you want to bring me to Florida, if you want to want me to come to Florida to do a presentation, we can make that happen. Florida is not on my itinerary anytime soon. But I'll be back. I'll be back in Atlanta, December 29th, Friday, December 29th, Shrine of the Black Madonna. I'll be in Los Angeles, December 30th and December 31st at the Christian Un Unity uh, Temple, Christian Unity Church. And I'll be Shrine of the Black. I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Uh, first three days of Kwanzaa. I'm the keynote speaker on December 27th, by the way, at the Charles H. Wright Museum. Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. They organized that day, so I'm the keynote speaker. So I'll be I'll, I'll be dealing with what is Kwanzaa reconnecting African Americans to African culture for self empowerment in the era of Donald Trump. What is Kwanzaa reconnecting African Americans to African culture for self empowerment in the era of Donald Trump? And that's what all that's um, when I speak uh, for the Kwanzaa uh, celebration in Los Angeles. That's what I'm talking about. Also, that's my presentation as well. I have a presentation on Kwanzaa on DVD at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, so you can order that if you want to. And I deal with the African origins of Kwanzaa, because Kwanzaa goes back to traditional first fruit harvest festivals coming out of ancient Kemet, Nubia, coming out of West Africa, coming out of the Yoruba culture, uh, the Akan of Ghana. So there's some deep history that the Kwanzaa also. New York, uh, when am I coming? Come to El Paso, the home of the first NAACP in Texas, Monica. So all these people you, saying when am I coming to their city, please contact me at our website, and uh, we can set something up. Um, snow is melting here in Atlanta. Good. I want all the snow gone by the time I get to Atlanta. 
Kanita said, watch from the beginning. What would, Bam said, what was the site again for black businesses? The site for black businesses. What are you talking about? Bam, what are you talking about? James Young, the second said, I always knew the Willie Lynch letter was a fake. Alex said, thanks. Betty Crawford Bell, love, love you to life. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to try to get your comments in here. People have been waiting for their comments to be seen. Uh, Kieran said, thanks for the education. Now, if you like this type of information, you want to learn more, once again, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my 35 DVD lectures are there. You can order those if you like that. They help support the African History Network, helps us to keep doing what we're doing, keep doing the research, keep broadcasting. Uh, we have documentaries there, Hidden Colors, uh, Black Friday, 1804, the history of Haiti. We have a recommended reading list of books. We don't sell books, but people always ask what types of books should I read? So we have a recommended reading list of about 60 books there. Um, you can read the articles that I write also there. And then we have about 800 podcasts of our radio shows, audio podcasts of our radio shows also that are free. Um, you can listen to those, download those. And the uh, website also connects you to our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. So we have about 600 video clips there. So it's a good resource, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Tisha says, stop keeping ignorance, ignorance alive. Please, we are better than this. Yeah, we read about that. But a lot of people act like, you know, when you tell a little kid Santa Claus doesn't exist. So Jeremiah said, I'm glad you didn't tell them the roots, uh, that roots was not based on real people. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you mean by that. Naja said, okay, so it wasn't now what? We deal with real history, Naja. Watch the, watch the full broadcast. Yeah, Dick Gregory talked about uh, Willie Lynch's letter being a fraud. Other people have talked about it as well. But we went through and dissected it. Professor, the most extensive analysis on it I've seen is from Professor Manu and Pim. And I interviewed Professor Manu and Pim. We have the uh, interview I did with him at our, uh, on our YouTube channel. We'll post this link again to the uh, YouTube video because I interviewed him on uh, a radio show and then I put that video on uh, YouTube. And many of you have seen the video that I did uh, for my presentation, Should African-Americans Celebrate Black History Month, Exposing the Myths? Many of you saw that segment I did on the Black John Hansen being president. Um, we have two videos or three videos on YouTube about that. Um, one of them, the first one that I posted, that's been viewed over a million times. Contrary to popular belief, the black John Hanson was never president. We need to stop saying that nonsense. There were two John Hansons. There was a white senator from Maryland who was the president of the Continental Congress from 1781 to 1782, and he died in 1783. You have a black John Hanson who was a senator to, senator to Liberia. 
Those are two different people. Okay, you need to stop saying that nonsense that John, the black John Hanson was president. And he's not on the back of the $2 bill either. Stop saying that nonsense also. Okay, because when you say something like that and you, you come up against facts and evidence, it's, it's going to shut you down. The black, this black John Hanson is not on the back of the $2 bill. There's nobody of African descent on the back of the $2 bill. Especially if you've seen the original painting that the back of the $2 bill is a depiction of. Because that original painting was done by John Trumbull in about 1818, about 1818. And it's a depiction not of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776, but the drafting of the Declaration of Independence by a five-man committee, June 28, 19, uh, June 28, uh, 1776. That's what it's a depiction of, the drafting of the De Declaration of Independence. But there's nobody of African descent. Those are all Europeans on the uh, back of the $2 bill. All right. All right, David Neely, how you doing? Um, Lila Brown said, how about we stop learning about their system altogether so we can focus on building our own? Okay. See, see, that sounds real good. But if their system is full of booby traps, you need to understand their system better than they do so you don't fall into the booby traps. See, this is the this is the difference between theory and practical application. See, that sounds real good. Let's stop learning about our, their system so we can build our own. Okay. If their system is full of booby traps to trap you, you need to know their system better than they do so you know where the booby traps are and you can warn your people so you don't fall into them while you build your own. You, you have to do both. It's not an either or. This is the difference between understanding practical application and theory. In theory, that sounds real good. Practical application, it doesn't work. You better understand law. You better understand their legal system because it's based upon entrapping. One of the reasons why we get so caught up in their legal system because we don't understand it. You better understand that legal system and, 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 and where the booby traps are so you can avoid them. Let's see. David Smith said, are you trying to say that Willie Lynch's letter did more harm than good? Oh, absolutely. Go back. Yeah, you got to go back and watch the beginning of the go back and watch. It. He did a whole lot more harm than good. Number one, people still think Santa Claus exists. Two, they haven't studied real history, so they think Santa Claus exists. Gail said, nothing good ever comes out of Florida. Okay, do you have a bad experience in Florida? <laughs> there are a lot of good people in Florida. <laughs> so we don't want to say nothing good ever comes out of Florida. Are you talking about the, uh, you talking about the 2000 um, uh, presidential election? <laughs> That's a perfect example of understanding, uh, uh, not understanding how to count. So Al Gore loses the popular vote 
the Al Gore loses the popular vote in Florida by 527 popular votes to George Bush. Al Gore had 540,000 more popular votes nationwide. George Bush wins Florida, gets 271 electoral college votes, which most of our people don't even understand how the electoral college works. So if you get, uh, if you order the presentation that I did, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. That's, uh, I, think that, I think we have it for $10 at our website. Uh, there are three presentations on that DVD that you get. In the presentation, I deal with the history of the Electoral College. Okay, I do a, 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 a in how it works, I do a, a brief overview of that. I have a separate lecture that goes in depth into the history of the Electoral College and the history of the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, Article 1, Section 2, Paragraph 3, or Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, what most of our people still don't understand because they're still saying that it said we were three-fifths of a human being, and that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Uh, so in, two, in Florida, in 2000, Ralph Nader got 90,000 popular votes out of Florida. George W. Bush got 527 more popular votes out of Florida, about 527, than Al Gore. Al Gore loses to Bush. Ralph Nader, who was running as an independent, got 90,000 popular votes out of Florida. Why? He didn't have a chance in hell of winning. Why? It makes no sense. Some people couldn't count. Here in Michigan, 2016 election, Donald Trump wins Michigan by 10,704 votes. He beats Hillary Clinton by 10,704 votes. Jill Stein gets 50,000 votes out of Michigan. Why? She was at Jill Stein was polling 2% national poll. What the? She didn't have a chance in hell of winning. He, Trump won Michigan by two-tenths of a percentage point. 54,000 people were knocked off the voter rolls in Michigan because of the cross-checking system. They're not 1.1 million people off the voter rolls across the country. Jill Stein gets 50,000 votes out of Michigan, and Trump wins by 10,704 votes. Some people can't count. Then, if you look at Lieutenant General Michael Flynn in Russia, December 2015, because all these bastards about to go down. I'm, I'm telling you, all, they, they're about to go down. He's sitting next to Vladimir Putin at the 10th anniversary dinner celebration for Russia Today TV. Vladimir Putin is right here at the dinner table. Next to him is Lieutenant General Michael Flynn on his right-hand side. Who's sitting across from the table? Jill Stein, the, the same Jill Stein that ran for president. What the hell is she doing there at the table with Vladimir Putin in Russia? Some people can't count or connect dots. Do I have digital file files? Yeah, um, Kenita, some of our, oh, first of all, you, you, you may want to start with the online course that I taught. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. That's all streaming. 
It's like 14 hours. It's all streaming. Okay, that's only $40, by the way. And it's in the, and it also has um, 20 hours of bonus content. And then some of my lectures, uh, we have a few that are also available on digital download. I'm trying to make some more of them available. Uh, my latest presentation, The Racist History of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, that's on digital download. And um, I think the one I did, The Distortion of the Legacy of, the, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that's on digital download also. But 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 the um, uh, the one, um, the online course, that'll keep you busy. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. That's uh, streaming. It's not, it's not digital download, but it's streaming. And once you register, you can go back and watch it over and over again. Okay, so uh, that's that's that'll keep you busy. But um, a few of my presentations are on digital download. Also, um, let me see something here. And that course is a lot of work. That's why I haven't taught it again. That's because I'm traveling a lot. That's a lot of work. That's why I'm good. Is that, that's why I'm glad it's archived there because it's a lot of work to put together the class. It's a lot of work to teach that class. Um, all right. Kanita said, thanks. I will. Angela Flood Williams said, why wasn't Jill Stein part of the Russian investigation? Who told you Jill Stein is not part of the Russian investigation? Her name's in that 35-page dossier. Who told you Jill Stein is not part of the Russian investigation? She may not have been interviewed yet, but don't think that they, her name didn't come up and they didn't look at her, no. Her, she's in that 35-page dossier that was put together by Christopher Steele, ex-MI6 agent. Oh, yeah, she definitely helped. Uh, she definitely helped get Donald Trump elected. Absolutely. Because um, the, independent, the the Green Party candidate, um, was it Brown? Um, what was his name? The Green Party candidate, his vice president, Governor Weld, about three weeks before the election, dropped out and said, we need to stop Donald Trump. He said, we need, he dropped out. He said, we need to stop Donald Trump because he saw they didn't have a chance of winning. Some people don't know how to count. What do you think about the event on reparations that Danny Glover and others have put together? The event? I'm not familiar with that event. But here's the thing. If we're gonna, if you, if we're gonna deal with reparations, you need to understand law. Okay. One, the the the, the thing that we really should be trying to force are the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. And I just interviewed Dr. Claude Anderson back on November 30th. That is archived. Uh, so go back and listen to that interview. Uh, you can listen to the podcast at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 are laws that are on the books right now for the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. Many of our uh, uh, 
Many of our ancestors were in those treaties getting benefits, like Sarah Rector, who was the richest uh, African-American uh, uh, girl in the country, who um, was of Creek Indian ancestry, Creek Indian slave ancestry, because the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians all owned African slaves. And oil was discovered on her land and she became a multimillionaire because oil was because the because it was Creek Indians who founded Tulsa, Oklahoma around 1836 after they got pushed, after they got pushed off of their land. Um after they got pushed off of their land in um southeastern United States because of the Indian Removal Act of 1830 signed by who? President Andrew Jackson, the white supremacist uh, slave-owning president that's a hero to Donald Trump. And it was President Andrew Jackson whose portrait was in the, in the, in the background when Trump was honoring the Navajo Indians a couple weeks ago and he called Senator Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. It's, that was in front of the portrait of Andrew Jackson. But the Black Freeman Indian treaties are law still in the books. And we need to push. That's your best chance to get any type of restitution. The other thing is, is when we look at the the enslavement of African people, the the legal claim is from the period of 1808 to 1861. And if you go and listen to the podcast, audio podcast of the shows I did, and we broadcasted that one on Facebook Live also. I interviewed Dr. Jahi Issa and Brother Reggie Marbury. And they wrote, they co-wrote the article for blackagendareport.com, Reparations is Dead, Here's How to Revive It, something like that. And they talk about, in 1807, the U.S., Great Britain, and other European nations signed an international treaty to end the transatlantic slave trade, meaning the imp ending the importation of African people. So it goes into effect January, January 1st, 1808. But the U.S. still brought, it still sent out ships to capture enslaved Africans capture African people and bring them back. They still continue to participate in the transatlantic slave trade. Now, the, um, the treaty did not say that they were abolishing slavery in the U.S., meaning they could still have slave plantations, breed slaves, things like this, but they were abolishing the importation of enslaved African people. So they violated their own treaties, and there were other treaties like in 1810s, subsequent ones. So they violated their own treaties. So now you're dealing with Europeans breaking their own laws. Before then, it was legal, so you ain't got nothing coming from that. See, we, we, we're trying to go to a legal court with, a, with an emotional or moral argument, and that doesn't work. So yes, slavery was wrong, and we worked for 246 years, basically for free, but it was legal. So you don't have anything coming, which is why you haven't gotten anything. 
But from 1808 to 1861, now Europeans are in violation of their own law. Now you have a legal argument. But if you understand history, you don't understand that. You just say, you owe us $14 trillion. We want our money now in small bills. Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. All right. Uh, so the lecture that I did um, dealing with the history of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I go deep into that. Dr. Claude Anderson deals with the Black Freeman Indian Treaties of 1886. Uh, you can listen to the interview I just did November 30th with him. And uh, you can go to his website, powernomics.com, powernomics.com, and harvestinstitute.com, harvest, like harvest uh, crops, harvestinstitute. Uh, I think it's harvestinstitute.org, actually. And uh, he has a lot of resources there, information on this uh, lawsuit to enforce the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. Um, why are these so-called, Marlon said, why are these so-called representatives still inviting him to places or accepting his invites? What, what do you mean, Marlon? We'll be here for a couple more minutes. What do you mean? National African American Reparations Commission. Oh, okay, that's uh, Ron Daniels. I know Ron Daniels. I was at the, uh, what was it? Um, State of the Black America. State of, State of the Black World. I was at the State of the Black World last year. Yeah, I know Ron Daniels. I've interviewed him before. But first and foremost, you got to focus on enforcing the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, okay? And then uh, also uh, focus on enforcing from 1808 to 1861. And uh, an uh, inquiry has to be done also, okay? Um, Sharonda said, even if the Willie Lynch letter is fake, the syndrome is real. Not really, no. We, we have a lack of, uh, we have a real lack of understanding of history. Does the statue of Martin Luther King bother you due to being three-fifths of a statue? No, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And it's right near, and in, 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 in the background, you have the Washington Monument, which is a Tekken, which is an ancient African symbol coming out of ancient Kemet. And there were about 1,200 Tekken new uh throughout ancient kemet historically and we know that um the layout of washington dc is a copy of the layout of ancient kemet ancient egypt and the layout of washington dc was done by benjamin banneker who was an astronomer and descendant of, of the dogon because his grandfather uh i think it was his grandfather was dogon banneker comes from banneker which was uh his grandfather's last name. And um, we know that Dogon originally came from ancient Kemet, who were masters astronomers. This is where we get understanding of the Series A and Series B star system from, from the Dogon. So, no, that doesn't bother me. Now, I think it was a waste of money for the statue, for the monument. I think it was a waste of money. He was Dr. King was deserving of it. I think that money could have been put to better usage. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, the Dogon of Mali. The, 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 but the Dogon were originally in ancient Kemet, and they're going to migrate to Mali because of, of invading forces. Uh, we see a migration going back to about 400 BC. They're going to migrate to Mali. They're in Mali and Burkina Faso. They're going to migrate there, but they're originally in ancient Kemet in ancient Egypt. Derek said, if you know all this, why your influence has no power for our people. Really? We have a million followers on here. How many do you have? People have to internalize this information more, but there are people watching who this information has empowered. So that's not true, Derek. We have we have one 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 million three thousand followers on this fan page, the African History Network. Uh, so people, be sure to follow our page here, the African History Network. Um, the check out the uh, the lecture that I did. Um, Black Wall Street from Destruction to the Resurrection of Economic Empowerment, uh, because I deal with the history of Black Wall Street and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Creek Indians, the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. I'm also in the documentary Resurrecting Black Wall Street, the Blueprint. We have that back in stock. Um, that's from Dr. Boyce Watkins and uh, director Dorian Chandler in Your Black World Films. Some don't want to believe. Well, I tell people, you don't have to believe a word that I say. Go do your own research. Proper documentation ends all conversation. You don't have to believe a word that I say. People want to believe and not know. Don't want to do research. This is this is the problem. Okay. This this is this is one of the biggest problems. People want to believe. To believe something means to accept, accept something as fact without having evidence to prove that it's factual, okay? When you when you have the evidence, you don't have to believe. You have the facts and evidence, you don't have to believe because you know. And knowing is different, okay? Knowing is different than believing. You don't you don't know what your name is. You, be, you, you I mean, you don't believe what your name is. You know what your name is. If you... If, if you are at work and you get a call for your husband and wife and they say, did you turn the iron off at home? You say, I believe I did. That means that there's doubt. That means you don't know that you did. When you know you did, you don't say, I believe I did. You say, yeah, I know I did. Yeah, I know I turned that iron off. Okay. Um. Vanita said, will our people ever come up? I have major doubts. Thanks for your effort. What Professor Kaba Kamene says, he says, it's not over till we win. Absolutely. Nothing lasts forever. Now, some of us are not going to be involved in that. Some of us are just going to die as ignorant as they were when they were born. I mean, um, you know, Harriet Tubman said it best. She said, I freed a thousand slaves, but I could have freed a thousand more if they had only known that they were slaves. Some of your own family members are just going to die ignorant. Some of my family members will die ignorant. So you have to help those who want to be helped. We're trying to save everybody's not going to work. Even in the mythology, even in the mythology of Noah's Ark, 
even in the mythology of Noah's Ark. Noah didn't build an ark to save the world. He built an ark to save those who wanted to be saved. He didn't build an ark to save the world. And he didn't waste time going all around the world trying to save, trying to tell people, come jump in his ark. You know, he built the ark for those who wanted to be saved. Now, his mythology is not real. I mean, how long did it take the polar bears to swim from the North Pole to get on the ark? Because they had animals on the ark also. How long did it take the polar bears to swim from the North Pole to get on the ark? How long did it take the penguins to swim from the North Pole to get on the ark? Where did they get all the food to feed all those animals and all the water to feed? They're, they're, all, they're on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Where did they get all the food and all the water from? Who cleaned up behind all those animals? That's something people don't even ask. Who cleaned up behind all those animals? So it's mythology. It's a parable. It's a story. It's nothing wrong with stories and parables. The problem comes when people believe a myth and think it's real history. That's, that's, that's the problem. That's when a real problem happens. Uh, Derek said, I'm asking blacks with the resources to carry this out with you, like in the millions of followers. Are there any millionaire, any African-American millionaires has step up in the, okay. I'm not exactly sure. You may want to edit that. You may want to edit that comment, Derek. Uh, or reposted. Darylin, so that was Derek. Darylin said they would say the Lord helped. Okay. <laughs> the Lord helped. <laughs> the Lord helped clean up behind the animals. Not to mention, if, if, it, if you read Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson, he deals with some science in there. So if it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, you know that would have raised the sea level by, by about a mile, which would have killed every living thing on, on, the, on the earth, including the vegetation and the trees and all that stuff. So the, the herbivorous animals that were on the ark. The animals, the herbivorous animals, they eat herbs, they eat leaves, things like this. They don't eat meat. If 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 the sea level raised one mile and killed every living thing on earth, what did they eat when they left the ark? Because they don't eat meat. They don't have the type of teeth for eating meat. They, they didn't eat, what did they eat? Um, Marlon said, we are not able to talk to others from all over the internet, all over the world, and White House is trying to stop it. Net neutrality. I told people elections have consequences. People didn't want to listen. They said, oh, I don't like Hillary, blah, blah, blah. She said, this is in 1996. Uh, I, I heard she said it. I ain't going to read it for myself. I didn't go read the paragraph before what she said and the paragraph after 
Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. I, I, I warn people about Trump. You go back and listen. I was doing national radio for five, day, five days a week up until April of this year. Okay? Because my daughter was born February 25th of this year. Right? And I said, I, I can't do five days a week for free. I can't do that anymore. Right? I was on the Empowerment Radio Network. You don't used to see me broadcast here. Those shows are archived. At our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can go back and listen to the shows I did last year during the election. And I was warning people and providing the evidence. I said, this fool Trump, what I was talking about is happening now. Okay? Net neutrality is horrific. Net neutrality is horrific for African Americans, horrific for small businesses. Right? This is Trump's administration pushing that. President Obama was against it. They are overturning all these things President Obama had in place that most African-Americans didn't even know existed. There, there have been over 100 policy reversals that Trump has put in place. Over 100 policy reversals. Most people know absolutely nothing about that. I deal with this presentation here. I deal with a lot of that stuff. This is African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump. Voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. There are three presentations on this DVD. This is $10 at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This one right here, the real story of the Confederate monuments, the Confederate flag, and why Robert E. Lee was against them. So this deals with the history of the Confederate monuments, okay? The history, the history of the Civil War. The Confederate flags. Now, what most people think is the Confederate flag, the flag that was on the General Lee car on the Dukes of Hazard, General Lee. This that was the name of the car, General Lee, named after General Robert E. Lee. That flag is not the Confederate flag. There were three flags that flew over the Confederate States of America from 1861 to 1865, because the Confederacy only lasted four years. 1861 to 1865. That flag was never one of those flags. That's the Confederate battle flag of Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee. And then you had some other smaller armies that had that flag. That's not the Confederate flag. But most white supremacists who are out there flying that flag don't know it. Most Southerners, most white Southerners who say this is my heritage and things like this, they think that's the Confederate flag. They don't understand history. That's what, we, that's what I break down here. And then... We deal with the history of General Robert E. Lee because General Robert E. Lee was against erecting Confederate monuments and using the Confederate flags after the Civil War was over with. Most of these white supremacists don't even notice because they half of them can't read. They don't study history. So this one right here, Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, right? This is a four, this is actually four hours. It's a two DVD set, four hour, four hour lecture I did. Where I deal with some well-known and not so well-known African women in our history. Okay, some living, some are ancestors now. All right, uh, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. Uh, so I have about thirty-five of my lectures there. Um, they're all at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And we have bundle packs also of them as well. A website link here again, African, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? 
Uh, let me see what else I have here. So, you know, we have the Hidden Colors documentaries, of course, all four of those, Director to Eat Machine. We have these in the bundle pack also, of course. Uh, Elementary Genocide uh, from, from uh, uh, Raheem Shabazz. We got the 1804 documentary. This came out November 1st from Tariq Nasheed. This was the history of the Haitian Revolution. The history of the Haitian Revolution. But uh, let's go back to some of your comments here and we'll get out of here. Yeah, we have a bunch of bundle packs at our website also. Uh, Jeremiah said, I, if you think some have a hard time accepting Willie Lynch wasn't real, try telling them Roots wasn't either. Well, Roots was a compilation. Um, a lot of people misunderstand Roots. See, Roots, the... Uh, um, Alex Haley traced his ancestry, and he heard stories throughout the years passed down from generation to generation about his ancestry. So he traces his history, but he writes a novel about it. See, the, the miniseries Roots that aired on ABC, okay, and set records for viewership and won Emmy Awards, things like this. That was based upon the novel Roots. So it was Roots, it was called An American Saga or something like that. But that book was not a history book. That book was a novel. So it's somewhat based on a true, somewhat based on true story, it takes place in a true historical setting. But Roots was not a history book. It's a novel. Okay? Um, so it deals with a real condition that we were in. But once again, it's a novel from Alex Haley, who also wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley. Cliff said, why is it that so many Africans and African-Americans focus so much energy on religion but neglect knowledge of self, nation building, and nation management? Well, African people are very spiritual people, most spiritual people on the face of the earth. And these various religions, they took fragments from the periphery of African spiritual systems to create these religions. So you have... Um, especially people from Africa, I mean, they're not just focused on religion. Now, some of them, uh, I mean, white supremacy is a global system. So white supremacy exists on the continent of Africa also, maybe in some different forms. I mean, you go to Ghana, you're going to see more pictures of a white Jesus in Ghana than you will here in the U.S. Uh, and you, than you will see in our communities. I mean, they have big images of white Jesus in Ghana. But, you know, that's a former British colony. White supremacy is a global system. 
And if you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. Dr. Francis Wilson, Wilson and Nilly Fuller told us, if you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you totally understand, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. All right, so uh, I'm about to get out of here and I'll post the information again. People ask about the online course. So it's all um, recorded. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. It's all recorded. You can watch it on demand. Uh, it's a, um, it's like 14 hours, and then it's like 20 hours of bonus content. So we do with thousands of years of history, we deal with the African presence in this country, going back at least 51,700 years. We deal with a chronology of history. So when I spoke, um, when I was a guest lecturer in the Department of Africology at Eastern Michigan University, one of the things I talked to the students about is that you have to understand a chronology of history going back like 50, going back at least 50,000 years. Because African people have been in this land we call the United States of America at least at least 51,700 years. We didn't just come here August 20th, 1619, or in the 1520s when the Spanish brought us here, or in 1513 when Juan Garrido comes into Florida with Juan Ponce de Leon, Spanish conquistador. We were here tens of thousands of years before that, before Native Americans come into existence, because the people who we call Native Americans are the offspring of an intermixing of Africans who were already here, like the Khoisan, who come from Southern Africa, have the oldest DNA on the planet, the short stature people, the Khoisan, ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa. So the, you have Africans who are here who intermix with Asians who come here around 3000 BC and their offspring are who we call Native Americans. Their offspring are who we call Native Americans. And when you go look at old photographs of Native Americans, these were dark-skinned people. They weren't like the the uh, very light-skinned, almost white-looking Native Americans that you see some of them today. These were very dark-skinned people. And then you're gonna have other groups of indigenous African people who were here that got reclassified as Native American as well by European settlers. So Captain John Smith in 1607, he said, he talks about how he was captured by a group of black Indians. Dr. David M. Hotel deals with this in his book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. He deals with this in his book um, from page 65, 63, something like that. Sixty-five. John Smith and Black Indians. In 1607, the Englishman, Captain John Smith, built the first permanent Caucasian settlement in North America in Jamestown, Virginia. While building the settlement, Smith made contact with the Powhatan tribe. The Powhatans were put, well, the Powhatans were part of the Algonquian speakers, another group of African people, the Algonquian, the Algonquian Indians, who were the largest group of Indians in Virginia as late as the uh, time uh, Captain John Smith arrived, there were uh, there were more than 10,000 Algonquin uh, in Virginia alone before the colonists arrived. Quote, Europeans called the Delaware Indians redskins because of their reddish natural complexion 
in the vermilion makeup they were fond of and decorated their bodies, end quote. Therefore, they were unfortunately called redskins and sometimes called red devils by the European settlers, also referring to their skin tone. In 1607, Captain John Smith described the chief of the Powhatans writing, quote, Powhatan, more like a devil than a man with some 200 more as black, B-L-A-C-K-E, as black as himself. When Captain John Smith described the chief indirectly, saying his braves were as black as he was, it is logical to assume that they too were black. When Captain John Smith described the Powhatans as devils and black, he was referring to skin tone. Now, Clyde, Clyde Winters agrees, saying, quote, early Americans would certainly be able to tell the difference between paint and complexion. In any case, whether the Powhatans were black as that late date or not does not change the fact that the first Americans were Africans. These first Americans remained black complexion until 3000 BC when the first Asians entered and began to mix blood with the proto-American Africans. It's page 65 and 66 of the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. This is one of the books we use in the online course that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in school. That course is all on demand now. It's all on demand. You can watch it at your own pace. Okay, so um, we have to get out of here because I have to do I have to do my show in 12 hours, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. I just did this broadcast here. Didn't plan to be on nearly this long. All right. But uh, so hopefully you all learned something. And uh, let me stop and throw that Willie Lynch letter in the garbage. So remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself, what you think about yourself based upon what you have been taught about yourself what you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read heard and seen about yourself remember people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future to meet the needs uh, and solve the problems of their community a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community um, once again I'll be in Atlanta December 29th at the um, Shrine of the Black Madonna for screening 6 p.m. screening of uh, Black Friday Part 2 and I'll be on the panel for that. We'll get the flyers up at our website AfricanHistoryNetwork.com I'll be in Los Angeles at the uh, Christ Unity uh, Temple in Los Angeles uh, Saturday December 30th uh, that event's 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. the Kwanzaa celebration and I'll be doing a lecture there uh, New Year's Eve December 31st, I think that's, um, that may be 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. also. On African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences, okay? 
Remember, right knowledge, right now is correct wrong behavior is not over till we win. We'll talk to you uh, later. We'll be back on the night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk to you later. Peace. Mod Hotel. Thanks for tuning in. You can go back and watch this full broadcast and um, share this uh, information with your friends also. Peace.